Welcome to Right to Life in Michigan's Life Beat. I am your host today, Chris Gast. Joining us are Grace Hemmeke and with a very precariously perched microphone, the triumphant return of Emily Kroll to the podcast. Are we calling it triumphant? It better be. What would the opposite of triumphant <laughs> return Well, be? It's, it's been a rough few months, but uh, I will say triumphant because we're still here. Okay. Uh, today, uh, welcome to the new year, by the way. We're going to talk about a couple topics. Uh, we're going to talk about the FDA changed the rules for handing out the RU46 abortion pill. Um, we're going to end the day talking about how Michigan is a dying state. Happy, happy topic. Let's start out, though, first with uh, Prop 3. As, as we've said before, we're going to keep talking about it, keep reminding you what was promised versus what is actually going to be delivered. And uh, the new legislature will be in session next week in Michigan. Uh, proposal 3 was officially added to the Constitution, I think, uh, last week or two weeks ago. Um, so we haven't had opportunity to have any action yet, but M Live did an article this week where they said that, or maybe it was the end of last week, time really flows weirdly I, the after difference Christmas. Of a, it, it was a couple days between the end of last week and the beginning of this week. I don't think it actually matters. Okay. Wait, this is the space between the two weeks? Oh, okay, never mind. It's, it's like a day. Okay. We're good. <laughs> Uh, MLive ran an article saying, well, they're just kind of casually, they're saying that uh, these new constitutional amendments are on the books and, you know, laws are going to have to be changed kind of naturally. And they just kind of nonchalantly say like, and for Prop 3, some of those laws like uh, the 24-hour waiting period and parental consent are going to have to be uh, changed, you know, like. Now, wait a second, ladies. I was told absolutely in no uncertain terms uh, later on by the Proposal 3 campaign, the parental consent was not going to be touched at all. The end. Zero. Nothing. And I'm live just like, yeah, Proposal 3, you know, really conflicts with the state's parental consent for abortion law. You know, what are you going to do? I'm old enough to remember <laughs> all of those news articles in MLive where they were saying parental consent will not be touched. So, um... Obviously, I mean, and we are knew. you accusing M Live of not being forthright and honest, Emily? I'm accusing how, them of being liars. Yes. How dare you? I'm not even gonna mince words. These brave they reporters. Lied. They lied, and people will die. It's that simple. <laughs> I'm gonna drop my mic and walk away. Don't, now. No, it's very <laughs> precariously perched. It's One precariously of the legs is broken. Perched. Do not drop the mic. Yeah. Um, I mean, but really, that's what happened. We knew and we talked about for months and months. January seventh of 2022, when they first introduced the, the language for the proposal to the board of canvassers, we said this will get rid of parental consent. Said it for months. They never denied it. They came out with they articles. They admitted it, too, at the beginning. They admitted it. They came out with articles saying that this gave the fundamental right to abortion from birth. From birth. Direct quote, from birth. And then once it started being a little difficult for them to be able to explain that position to the general public, 
Then the news articles started running. Oh, this isn't going to change parental consent. Oh, here's our legal experts that say it's not going to change parental consent. We all knew it was a lie, but unfortunately, there's still a lot of people in the state of Michigan who don't know that the news articles and the legal experts that they found were lying, and they will continue to lie until people wake up to the truth. Independent legal expert and Proposal 3 campaign fundraiser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Littman. laughs> really? Yeah, I like how at the beginning, like when they first tried to explain that, like they tried the little trick, like, well, you know, really, though, know, the Constitution doesn't technically change any laws. You know, th- those just have to be, you know, there's lawsuits in court and, you know, whatnot. But the Constitution itself, it's not really repealing anything, Emily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm six foot four. The very tall Emily. No. Yeah. Very- <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly grew almost a foot. <laughs> no, I'm the behemoth here at five. Actually, Grace, are you taller than me? Five eight. She's a. Well, I'm calling me. myself five nine today, so yeah, <laughs> this is a this is a tall podcast. I am proudly half inch above the national average, so <laughs> there you go. Um, so I know we've kind of beat that horse to death, and we're gonna keep beating that horse to death until there's absolutely no single cell left of the horse, uh, because I, words matter, promises matter. If people were told that it was going to eliminate parental consent, it would have failed. I believe. Oh, yeah. If they were told that it would eliminate all these laws. Let's talk for a second, though, about, um, before we move on, let's talk about, you know, all of these articles after the election saying that, you know, oh, now Proposal 3 has got to change all these laws now that they feel comfortable admitting it because they got it on. Um, They keep bringing up the waiting period over and over and over. Like, that's the number one law that they... Now clearly that must they must have been signaling we're coming for the waiting period. Now I th- now why do I think they're going to do that? A I think like that's a law that isn't like controversial I think to get rid of. Although I mean like parental consent very controversial, tax funded abortions, abortion clinic licensing, uh, informed consent ultrasound, those are more controversial. Like telling women, you know, oh, you don't have to wait 24 hours. That's that's kind. Of, that one's a little harder to get like upset about. Although we know they love to get women into the clinic and then rush them through. An assembly line, well, right? Disassembly line, yes. So, and I think that's you know, so that's why they're doing that one. And then I think that of all of our laws too, that might be one of their biggest frustrations is and expenses is because the woman has to be come back for another appointment. Now with the abortion pill, as we get into that discussion in a second, like they just want to like have them show up, give them the pills or do the surgery like same day, get them out and goodbye. Mm-hmm. They want to be the Chick-fil-A of, you know, of, of surgery, of medicine, if you want to call it that. Maybe more like McDonald's. Except without that the, implies good except service. With, except, yeah, except without yeah. the... Yeah. McDonald's, you know. We're just going to abortion get the order wrong. Yeah, some of those abortions like to slap around the women a little bit before doing you know, the abortion. Get an abortion, so, have to get your that's... uterus m- removed. You know, they're, yeah. they're the McDonald's. So uh, any, anyone have any other thoughts on the waiting period, why they keep bringing it up? Well, it's obvious for all the reasons that you mentioned. Because it is less controversial and easier to get rid of, but it is such a big holdup in their in their business because women 
a lot of the time, not a lot of the time, but there's pretty good statistics and data out there that says when women take that 24 hours, some of them don't come back for the appointment. In that 24 hours, some of those women are then going maybe across the street to a pregnancy resource center to learn about their options, you know, to, to see here's people who are going to help you, they're going to take care of you, they're going to support you now and all the way through your pregnancy, and a lot of them for the first good little chunk of your baby's life. And they don't want women to know that there are other options out there for them. And, you know, they like, they like money, they like their lucrative business and their vacation homes, and they're going to do whatever it takes to keep that. Hmm. Any thoughts, Grace? Um, not really. The same. They play it up like it's a big ideological thing about women's rights, but it does come down to money, and that's probably why they're targeting the 24-hour waiting period. It's effective for them, but won't really make an impact on too many other people watching it get repealed. People Un just don't think about it. Right. Unlike parental consent, which would still make them money, but a lot of people would not like that yeah. at all. My question would be how much pressure is going to be coming from big businesses in the industry about the 24-hour waiting period? Because we've seen, especially since this summer, a lot of large companies who in and live action oh, drew a lot of attention to it. to it. There's another layer to it because there's a lot of businesses. It is less expensive for the company to pay for a woman to get an abortion rather than giving her maternity leave. Live action did a great series of sarcastic videos about it. I love satire, but it was truthful. There are companies all up and down the all up and down the country, some companies that, you know, as a millennial I have used probably my whole life, Amazon being one of them, even when it was just a bookstore, um, they started offering expenses, paid hotels, travel, paid leave for women to get abortions. The 24-hour waiting period in Michigan means that they have to pay for another day for her to be missing work for that abortion procedure, and they don't want to pay for that. Mm, yeah, So good point. how much pressure is coming from big business before we move on, we should just mention, you know, uh, I think we mentioned on the podcast a couple weeks ago, Renee Chellian, uh, owner of the largest abortion clinic chain, I think. Mysteriously in unemployed. Um, yeah, she, she <laughs> oh, yeah. donated the campaign and listed unemployed. Yeah, sure. But, you know, she, she in that Bridge article where she was like, guys, we can't change all this stuff. We said that we weren't going to do it and we have to keep our word and blah, blah, blah. And... No, Renee, that's not how they work. You know, I I wonder if she sees these articles like at some point, do you think she's going to like just go along with it? Or do you think she's always going to be like, man, why did we? I don't know. I think she's more worried about the backlash. Yeah, it's but it's backlash. But, you know, I mean, she's, but, she's the only one that let, let's let's point this out. She's the only one on the side side being honest, like frankly, almost pleading like, hey, come on, we said all these things, Aren't, didn't we mean it? Yeah, but she will change Weren't her... we right? She, we're in that period of time directly after the election where people are still paying attention to the news. In two weeks, no one is going to be paying... Well, will be paying attention, and pro-life people will be paying attention, 
but the overwhelming majority of Michiganders are not going to care about what happened in the last election. You have a very narrow window to get your messaging out before people stop paying attention. So her putting the messaging out of we have to be honest and we have to have integrity is saving her reputation even if she doesn't mean it because That's people true. will stop paying attention. It's the unfortunate reality of the world we live in. It's a 24-hour news cycle. She said those statements less than a week after the election. Yeah. I, I'm being cynical, but unfortunately now I work a lot in politics <laughs> and this is the nature of the beast. So people will forget that all of the promises that they made and they're not going to pay attention to what the legislator is doing or the legislature is doing. They're not. Emily Crawl, ladies and gentlemen, candidate for the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Yes, I hereby nominate myself. It'll, it'll be great, guys. <laughs> All right. So um, moving on to... I don't know that it's a big news item because we all see it coming down the pike and know where they're going with it, but the FDA announced changes to the abortion pill rules. So they have a special set of rules for certain medications called REMS. I think it's Risk Evaluation and Mitigation mm -hmm. Strategies Strategy. or something. Basically, this medication is a little more dangerous. you got to be more careful with it. Um, they have been... It was interesting because they changed the rules. You know, the Biden administration's FDA changed the rules. Then abortion facilities were violating those rules, and the FDA was kind of complaining for a minute. And we all were kind of like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, you're really going to be complaining. So what they've done now is they've changed the rules so that uh, the abortion pill can be handed out at any pharmacy. It doesn't have to be handed out under the supervision of, like, the doctor or at the doctor's office. Uh, Walgreens and CVS can now deal out death. Mm-hmm. I drove by Walgreens on my way to work this morning, and my first thought was, great, they're going to be selling abortion pills right there. You know, when the abortion pill was first, tr when the Clinton administration was first trying to get the FDA to legalize the abortion pill in America, pro-lifers said, if you, if you let it come here, you know, it's not tested, women are gonna die, it's gonna be handed out every street corner. Uh, you know, we're gonna get to the point, it's gonna be in gas stations and school vending machines. Um, and those people made those predictions back then, they were absolutely right. Like, they, I don't call us cynical, but we know how these things work. Uh, that's what the other side wants. They want it to be no more, you know, they wanted to be next to M&M's in the candy aisle, you know? Mm -hmm. This is this is where, so, apparently I think deep thoughts on my way to work in the morning. When I drove past Walgreens, because <laughs> we know that this has always been their goal to get, like you said, just regular, every grocery store, everywhere you can buy vitamins, you would have access to the abortion pill. But... The thing I was thinking about, because we also know that they are such a profit-driven industry, and the abortion pill specifically, right now they control the supply, 
So they are able to do a 400% markup on the pills. They buy them for an average about $95, and they sell them to women for anywhere between $450 to $600. If you're in L.A., you're charging like $900 for the abortion and, pill. And that's the exact same cost as the surgical abortion, it should be pointed out. Yes. And so part of me was like, well, wouldn't this be contrary to their business interests to have more access to the abortion pill and have it outsourced to another party um, to then, so because Walgreens and all the other pharmacies are going to be getting money off of that. So it cuts into the abortion industry's profits. And then it was just a moment where I had to say, yes, making profit is a big motivation factor, but mostly they just want to kill babies. At the base of it, they just want to kill more babies. I mean, if you, you know, when we talked about who's in charge of the pro-abortion movement, it's not any one person. Um, you know, all the billionaires funding it, all the little institutions, professors and whatnot. Population, population control. control. They just want to kill babies. They just want to kill babies. They're, now, Planned Parenthood is, is, is very corporate, and these little indie abortion facilities are like small businesses. You know, they are going to get continually squeezed by this. And so, hey, Renee Chellen, you might not be in business anymore because, you know. But here's another thought to that, too. Um, I'm going to get a little cynical. Everyone hates the drug companies, but if, as an ideological concern, who controls the drug companies now? The federal government. Well, I mean, if, if, <laughs> on, on this top level, if you look at, like, politics and ideology and The population whatnot, control people. So, the, I mean, it's going to be a different subset of people making the money, but there's still the money to True. be made. True. Yeah. So. But, uh, but. But this happening in conjunction with what we're seeing up in Canada with their big push into assisted suicide, um, offering people like veterans calling in and saying, hey, I want a mobility assist scooter. And they're saying, oh, we'll give you a, a, an assisted suicide instead. That's where Canada has gotten to. So you see up, fortunately, for assisted suicide, the public in the United States is not okay with that yet. And we're starting to see the horrors coming out of Canada and it's turning public opinion a little bit. But you kind of see the extreme on both ends. Both ends, you've got the extreme, we need to kill people while they're still in the womb. And then we have to kill people when we think they're no longer useful to society. And it all comes down to just population control. We want less people. Emily, what a great segue into... <laughs> Unintentional, but honest. Into our final topic of the day. So uh, Michigan is a dying state. So what do we mean when we say that? Do we mean that Michigan performed terribly in the college football playoffs? No, although that was very upsetting. Uh, what we mean I was is, okay with that, but... <laughs> state, state fans listening are like... Rain. Sure, Chris. That's that's sure, whatever. I mean, honestly, I wanted them to win, and I wanted Ohio State to win, and then Ohio State to beat them in the national championship. So I didn't get exactly what I wanted. But okay, I gotta okay. have to revoke your Michigander status right nope. there. No, it's okay. But, um, <laughs> are we Grace, talking about the podcast? <laughs> we are. 
There's more things in life than... Let's, let's upset Grace. What else can we talk about? Trigger, you know, I, trigger bre- warning. My breakfast this morning. Was, no. I had um, coffee for breakfast, so it's great. Oh, see, the microphone. Mic. You dropped the mic See, you get me about politics and football, and it just goes <laughs> off the rails. Okay, so the microphone wants us to get back on track. Yep. Uh, well, let's, let's, football's a happier topic than it this is. topic. So... When we say Michigan is a dying state, uh, we just mean that besides the general sense of decline in standard of living and life expectancy and all those other important things, just the fact Michigan is shrinking. Um, Michigan population since, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, but I think about 2000 has been very stagnant or declining. Uh, In the 2020 census, there was a little kind of bump up and hope that we hit the 10 million mark but then the next year population went down again and you know there's a variety of reasons that go into that you can talk about economics and the rust belt and manufacturing uh governance the city of detroit many, many of those things but just by the sheer fact of of abortion you know we talk about population control and canada wanting to get rid of people um you know, we live in a dying state. Our population without abortion probably somewhere between eleven and a half and two uh, uh, and twelve million. But uh, people, a lot of people are happy. Would be happy to hear that number. You know, oh, population is declining. That's great. Who who made who emerged out of the uh, out of the ether again after I don't know years of obscurity? But Paul Ehrlich, uh, who wrote the Population Bomb in 1970, I think. Yeah, I think it was. There. It was pre pre Roe versus Wade, basically saying that if we don't uh, if we don't call the herd, if we don't get rid of more people, if we don't stop population growth, that by like 1980s or something, there'd be mass famines and people would be dying and be the end of the world and blah, blah, blah. And like absolutely none of his predictions turned out true, which it's so hilarious him defending himself on Twitter the other day. Like, oh, I may have gotten things wrong, but all my basic things are right. It aged as well as global cooling. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but, but Paul Ehrlich gets wheeled out from a warehouse by, was it CBS or? It was one of them, I think them, it was 60 yeah. Minutes, like, to talk about how we need to, you know, make the same predictions he made 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and people just eat it up because they just keep hearing from people like Paul Ehrlich on 60 Minutes, you know. We're all going to die. Well, we will eventually, but <laughs> it won't be from... Probably won't be from flooding or famine. It'll just be hopefully old age. Um, yeah, it was very interesting. Fentanyl. Right. Fentanyl. Yeah, that's what's really going to do it. Um, just seeing them trotting out more of their population control people. You see big time multi-billionaires like Bill Gates always has been for about 30 years talking about population control, we need to reduce the population in the world, then buying up a lot of farmland. That's interesting. Um, but it's it's the idea that people are the issue, where from our perspective of people who actually like humanity 
and and want to see humans prosper and 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 succeed it's the inverse so we want to see growth and change and prosperity and they just want to see death they want to rise from the ashes and be lords of the world apparently but from the pro-life perspective population is a good thing you know more people means more innovation it means more creativity it means more sharing and everything like that it means and, more people get to enjoy life and it means more people get to enjoy life it, it's not just this well people are good for the economy it's like people are good to have like baseline people being alive is a good thing um not a popular opinion these days <clears throat> apparently in it's our not pampered ultra rich society where you no longer have to worry about starvation now life sucks. See, and Before, the, life was great. Now that we have everything, ah, life sucks. See, and the, the weirdest thing to me is, like, as someone who has been overseas in third world countries, in starving communities, helping in, in child care for orphans and, and helping get women out of the sex trade and things like that, in the places where life is the most difficult, there is a reverence for life that you just don't see in a society like ours where even out of the worst circumstances a new baby is a cause of celebration for the entire community it's amazing to see and it's because there's a hope there it's like it things might be difficult for me but i can make things better for my child it's like it doesn't have to stay this way and I think that's something that people often miss, especially when talking about here, here, we'll bring it back to population decline in Michigan. It's every new life is a new opportunity. And it, it's a chance to enjoy the world. Yes, it's going to come with suffering. Yes, it's going to come with hardship. But life isn't just suffering and hardship. You also laugh about football games and grace rolls her eyes and says i wish i would have these people stop talking about football games but <laughs> even in the worst times we all enjoy something and there's something beautiful there and i think that's something people often miss michigan you know as a state we've been in decline for a very long time probably since the 1920s arguably, arguably. whoa <laughs> Arguably. Going way back. We're going way back after the Forget boom. the automobile. <laughs> yep. So after the boom. But, you know, it's still a place where if you're sick of the city, you, you go up north of the bridge and you can see the northern lights. And, well, you can see it pretty much anywhere. But it's better in the UP. Okay? Putting it out there. And it's somewhere where you can go out on the lake in the summer with your family and sit around a campfire and roast marshmallows. There's good things. What could be more Michigan than I don't know, fighting with your family over blue or green. Watching, like, the, watching the Lions lose. Okay. Watching the Lions lose. But, no, it, but not it's, Sunday. It's, we, we have something worth preserving. And I think we need to, even no matter what happens in elections, no matter what happens in society with, with news organizations lying and people working overtime to try and, and kill babies, kill the elderly, we have something worth fighting for. And I think that's encouraging, you know. We're down, but we're never going to be out. Yeah, I mean, this is nothing new. I'm, I'm reading a Christmas Carol at you know at lunch hour. It's a really short book, and you know, it, 
this is Charles Dickens. This is in the Victorian era. Oh, and, life was horrible. Well, <laughs> it, but like the the you know. Ebenezer Scrooge is like, yeah, get rid of the poor people. Let's get. Rid- I wish the surplus population would just go ahead and die, mm-hmm. and then that uh, Emily could be the the ghost of Christmas present. Just uh, like, who are you to decide this? And, Timmy's still alive, guys. And, uh, we gotta save him. <laughs> you know, maybe those people are better than uh, better than you are, Mister Scrooge. Um, yeah, I mean that's kind of the thing. You know, almost very kind of parallels for me that. You know, Scrooge is on the road to an early death and meaningless, and but he's just holding on tight to all that you know money and all that he has. But that's the thing in Michigan with a declining state is, you know, you think we're doing this and it's going to help, but it's it's not, and it just causes its own economic problems. You know, human society and civilization is not built on the ability to shrink and decline and whatnot. There's nothing dynamic or positive about that. Um, So I'm glad that you found a way to make this. Otherwise, (laughs) found a good... uh, There's always hope. Yeah, found a good note. There's always a bright side. To start the new year with. Um, But yeah, so uh, declining state. How do we turn around, ladies? Have more babies. Have more babies. Done. End of story. Have more babies. Literally, have more babies. It'll solve a lot of problems. It would help. You know, um, it's gonna. The next few years are gonna be interesting. You know, all those predictions that Social Security and Medicare are running out. We're getting real close to those. I now. mean, we're approaching a third of the U.S. population being a- eligible for Medicaid. Um. You mean Medicare? Is it? Yeah, care. Yeah, the old care. one. Yeah. No. Medicare is for the old people. And Medicaid is for, Medicaid pe- is for, for low income people. people. But it, they were with predicting some, with increased economic declines that a lot more people are going to be. It's potentially oh. as much as a third um, being eligible for Medicaid, which speaks we really have to fight against tax-funded abortion in Michigan because that would be terrible. Um, but there's a path forward. We just have to be bold enough to take it. So, listener, your resolution for 2023 is, do you see life as a fundamentally good thing to be enjoyed and celebrated and wished that more people get to experience? Or do you think life is a horrible, meaningless existence of Amazon boxes showing up at your porch, slightly smaller and slightly fewer every year? Do you want to be the old Scrooge or the new Scrooge? Yeah, there you go. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of LifeBeat. Join us again next week with Lions Playoff Bound. You heard it here first. Have a wonderful weekend.